Good morning, and you pray with me. Lord, it is, it is well. It's well with my soul only because of you. Lord, we have so much. But what we really need is you. Above all, overall, we need you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, as we come to your word today, open our hearts change us, open our minds and help us to understand. Lord, help my lips. To speak clearly, to share the truth of your word. Lord, we know that it is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that it would work in our hearts and our minds today to draw us closer to you. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My, my name is Steve Soul, And uh, I work with Brian at uh, FedEx and uh, went to Midwestern and graduated last December. And he asked me a couple weeks ago if I would be willing to preach here, and I'm honored to be able to come and and preach for him today. And he said he's uh, just finished up a series, and he's getting ready to start uh, a new series on Mark. And he told me it would be okay if I introduced his whole series. So, okay, Brian, here it goes. (laughs) We're going to we're going to introduce a, a remarkable, equipped with the knowledge of good news. Um, today, um, my text is going to be on uh, Mark 1 and 1 through 5. And we're going to uh, talk about a remarkable start. And I'm going to read the text and then I want to go backwards a little bit and we'll talk about uh, Mark himself and talk about the background a little bit. And then we'll get into the text a lot more if that's all right. Mark 1, uh, out of the ESV. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Mark is an interesting character. So we we get the, uh, the gospel of Mark from the man... It's named after is also known as John. We see him twice in the Bible, mentioned specifically. We see him in Acts 12, in Acts 12, 12. And uh, when it's talking about Mark, it says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, 
the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And then again in verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. More famously, Mark is known for Acts 15, where he caused division in the church. Strangely, God can use someone who's broken things and who is himself not exactly perfect, like all the rest of us, right? Acts 15, 37 and 39, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, and then you know the story, Paul says, new, he abandoned us. And in verse 39, Barnabas said, Okay, there arose a sharp disagreement and they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. Now that's the last time we hear about Mark. But sometime in the future, all the church historians agree, Mark became Peter's apprentice. So he started off on missions journeys with Paul and Barnabas together. And then he abandoned them because of the cost, because of the hardship, because of when things got rough, he hadn't realized what the cost was. And then he goes on to still serve with Barnabas, who's also called the son of encouragement, the guy who brought Paul in. When Paul thought, I couldn't be any use to the church, Barnabas brought him in and said, look, you come with me, I'll start on missions journeys with you. We're going to go to the Gentiles. And then he takes Mark, who also was broken, because of what he'd done. And he brings him along. And then we see later, and we don't hear about how that happened, but can you imagine, Peter can understand. Peter can understand failing and turning away. He's the one who Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. He said, oh, no, not me, Lord. And then he did it. But Jesus restored him. And we see Peter taking Mark in. And Mark then records what's known by uh, some early church historians as Peter's memoirs. But we, we see it as the gospel of Mark. And it's not always in order. It's not always exactly matched up in timeline like we see Matthew or Luke. And that's why sometimes it's a little out of order when you see Mark and you see the synoptic gospels. It's, it's a, because it's more a collection of all the things that Peter told him because Mark wasn't with them the whole time. So we get this, and when was this written? So it was written by a man who was broken and who had a ministry to the Gentiles. And it was interesting, this morning my family and I were reading in Acts 10 when it talks about how Peter decided that it was okay to preach to the Gentiles. When Cornelius called him and he had the vision from the Lord that whatever I say is clean, do not call unclean. And he's like, what does this mean, Lord? And then Cornelius' folks showed up and he said, hey, you've been called to, to preach to the Gentiles too. And he preached to this group of Gentiles, went into their house, which broke tradition with the Jewish people. And then Lo and behold, this Holy Spirit came down upon those people and they were saved and they were filled with power by the Holy Spirit. And Peter's like, 
I'm amazed. And the whole church was like, what are you doing in these Gentiles' houses? And then he explained that. And that was the whole start to reaching out to the Gentiles. Before that time period, all you see is Jews from every walk of life, from every nation coming to the Lord. After this point, you see us. And I don't know if anybody here is a Jewish of Jewish heritage, but I'm not. And so I'm really thankful that the Lord called Peter and said, look, the Gentiles are part of this too. And then he told Mark, he, he had this experience. And, and you see the whole gospel of Mark written with an audience of Gentiles. And it comes from Peter, who was the, the Jewish guy. We think of Peter as uh, Jews first, but Peter in his gospel or in the gospel that Mark records for us on his behalf reaches out to the Gentiles showing us that we are as much a part of the kingdom as anyone. And he wrote this in a time, so the guy who failed and fell back wrote this in a time period between 50 and 70 AD. And that's a time period, if you remember, Nero during that time was putting Christians on poles and lighting them on fire so that he could have light for his banquets. And this is, when I say this is a remarkable start, Mark starts out and he starts with a statement that gives no question about what he's writing, about the message that is there. He starts boldly proclaiming and literally putting his life on the line for what he's writing down on Peter's behalf. He comes out and he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that is a bold new message. The bold new message is that God has come to earth. So this is the beginning of the good news that Jesus, so Jesus, the, the name Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Joshua, which means either Yahweh is salvation or the salvation of Yahweh. And if you remember in Matthew 1.21, the angel told Mary and Joseph that they are to give him the name Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. His name was important. Naming him Jesus said he is the salvation from God. And then Christ is the Greek word or the Greek title for anointed one, which is the Hebrew, the equivalent Hebrew is Messiah. So in the first words, he says, this is the salvation of the Lord, the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one to come. And then he goes further and says, he is the son of God, literally the son of God. But that's more to make that claim in the culture you were really saying you were God. In John 5, 17 through 18, when Jesus was talking, he answered them and said, my father's working now until now and I'm working. And then it goes on to say, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father. And here's the key point, making himself equal with God. 
So the Jews all understood, the people of that day understood that when you called, when you gave someone the title, the Son of God, you were saying that he was the equivalent. You were calling yourself God. And in the Old Testament, we see kind of that, that uh, a shadow of that when people, just think about after Solomon, David's ancestors, they were either called sons of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, or they were called a son of David. Now, they weren't actually David's sons, but grandsons, great-great-grandsons or whatever, but they were called by that because they were of the same essence and the same mindset and the same mold, if you will. And Jesus is making, when you make that claim about God, you're making a bigger claim. Jesus says, I'm the son of God, which is saying, I'm God. And he came out and they wanted to kill him for it. Well, Mark starts off his gospel by saying, okay, in a culture where you must worship Caesar as God, he's saying, this is the one who saves, the anointed one or the king, God himself. Now, that's a pretty bold message. That is a huge statement And that's how Mark starts the gospel. He doesn't come out and start giving the story like Matthew or Luke do about Jesus' birth. He comes out and says, let's be forward and upfront about this. It kind of reminds me of Peter. Peter's always the one who's saying, he's just speaking without thinking. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter. For this is then revealed by God, not by man. You know, and... It's just like that. And Mark's making this bold statement to start the thing out. And it's a new statement. It's not one we don't know for sure which gospel was written at which time, but it is likely that they were written without even referencing each other, except for Luke, who says, hey, look, I'm a historian. I collected everything, right? Mark doesn't make that claim, neither does Matthew or John. But we believe that Mark's was probably, or Peter's gospel transcribed by Mark is it's probably written first. So this is the first bold statement that the church puts out at the time when people are burning people to death for making a claim to follow Christ. And he's putting out the message, okay, here's what it is. God has come to earth. And then I think about my life. You know, nobody around me is going to string me up, burn me at the stake for claiming to follow Christ. But how often do I back away from telling people, Jesus, God himself, came down from heaven and he is the salvation of the world. And you need to follow him. And that's what we see coming next. He, Mark goes back and he says, okay, scripture, it is written. It is written. What did he say? He quotes from Isaiah 40, um, specifically verse 3, but I want to read through a little bit more than verse 3. So in Isaiah 40, it says, comfort, oh, comfort my people says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem and call her out 
that her warfare has ended, her iniquity has been removed. And the iniquity of God's people has been removed. The iniquity. That's a claim that only God can make. That she's received the Lord from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain and hill be made low. The rough ground become a plain, the rugged terrain a broad valley. And then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Now, in Mark, he only quotes verse 3. And it reads in the Old Testament, it reads, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God, which doesn't exactly match word for word in our English. And why is that? I took it both out of the ESV, but it's because we translate from the Hebrew, from the Old Testament, and we translate from the Greek, the New Testament. And there's slight slight differences in words, but that doesn't make a difference. It's just like reading, if I read it from the King James, or if I read it from the ESV, or if I read it from the NASB, it might have slightly different words, but the meaning is exactly the same, right? And so that's what we see there. And we see it in our English Bibles, no matter what version you're reading. And we see in Mark, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this is the beginning. This is where we start. We have a bold proclamation to say, okay, here's, here's my intent and my purpose is to show that God himself has come to the earth. And what's the beginning of that? John. So what's the beginning of the gospel? John. And that's, it's not just uh, something that's done here. It's something that we find throughout scriptures. John's ministry was the beginning. Um, Romans, I'm sorry. We look at uh, Job 28, 28. And he said, God says to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And, turn, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who practice it have good understanding. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15.33, you see the example. And once again and again and again, John's ministry was preparing the way of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel was John. And what was he doing? He was baptizing the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. The call to the fear of the Lord, the call to repentance, is the beginning of the gospel. John doesn't go out and say, hey, if you follow Jesus... Everything in your life will fall into place. You know, as Americans, we like that, right? If you follow Jesus, everything will get better. No, that's not the beginning of the gospel. What's the beginning of the gospel? Realize that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner. Realize that you can do nothing. 
and realize you have to turn away from that and to the one who can do everything, the one I just introduced. The salvation, the Son of God. That's the beginning of the gospel. Realizing that we have a need. You know, in today's society, what do advertisers use on everything? Well, you're going to have, you have this need, and if you only could do this weight loss program, then you'll feel so much better, and you won't have this belly anymore, and which is true, but that's not going to solve my problems. That's not going to make me happy. Or if I get this new truck with a fantastic tailgate, that's going to make life so much better and so much easier because now I can just step up on the tailgate. I don't have to actually climb up on there. Now, that's not going to solve your problems. Or, yeah, take your pick. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. There's many, many advertising slogans. All of them are focused on the same thing. The God-given desire for more. The God-given desire for peace and for joy. The God-given desire for belonging and love, true love that we can count on. All of those things are good. And the world uses them to focus us on anything but what we need to be focused on. And we need to be focused on Jesus. We need to be focused on the Messiah, the one, the Son of God. And we're never going to find anything that satisfies like that. And the people of that day... They realized it. They were longing for more. Now, I don't know if they had billboards on the side and people are saying, buy these dates and they'll make you so much healthier because they're organic. Or if, they're, if they were being taunted and they're brought in, but there's many temptations and many things that can pull you aside just the same as there are today. And people still longed for more. And how do I know that they were longing for more? Okay, if we go in here and look, John was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's a harsh message. But people were finding that it's something they needed. They needed to cleanse themselves. They needed to release and give it over to God, to turn from their sins and turn to God. And we find that it's, a motivated, it wasn't just something that they did lightly because it said all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him. Okay, that sounds simple, but I want you to think about this. If you, the geography of Israel, to go from where John was baptizing to Jerusalem or go from Jerusalem to where John was baptizing was 88 kilometers. Okay, so put that in miles. That's about 55 miles. So let's put that in perspective. That's going from here, right here, to Cameron. Or just outside of Lawrence, Kansas. Or 
five miles beyond Concordia. Okay, that's three examples of about 55 miles. Now, you're not driving it. You're doing that on foot. Oh, and you're not doing it just on foot. You're going on dirt or gravel paths in sandals. And, oh yeah, there's no rest stops, gas stations, or anything else because you're going into the wilderness. And that's how you got to get there. So 55 miles. So my family and I, a couple of years ago, we were doing for a Boy Scout merit badge. We were hiking for the hiking merit badge, and we hiked 20 miles. Uh, we did it around Watkins Mill State Park, and there's a paved path that we just did four times, and it was or five times, and it made 20 miles. But by the time I was done, I was finished. I was exhausted and spent. And I can only imagine, so if you, if you think about 55 miles, how long of travel is that? Well, that's, it's about at three miles an hour, which is sustainable. That's 18 hours of walking. Not counting your breaks, not counting lunchtime, not counting anything else. That's 18 hours of straight walking to get somewhere. But 18 hours seems a lot further than Cameron. So, you know, I, I was doing a Google search and I found 18 hours, you can make it to New York City driving. Just think about the, the length of time that we're talking about. We're talking about several day trip going out into the middle of nowhere. And then once you get there, you're there to listen to a guy tell you that you are a sinner and that you need to repent and you need to turn from your sins. And people were, they were repenting. They were turning to God. They were being baptized. And then how did all, all, it says in here, all of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to it. Well, how did they know? Well, because these people were going out, they're hearing him, they're getting baptized, they're getting changed, and they're going back. And they're telling others. And that's how people found out. So we're talking now, it's 110 miles, and you're going out and proclaiming to the other people who are around Look at what, what was going on. Look, this is amazing. This repentance and turning to God. It's changed my life. How many of us go out after we're saved? And how many of us go and tell? Do we go and share the gospel with people? How many this week have you shared the gospel with? I mean, you just think about it in your head. Or how many this month? If you haven't shared this week, how, many, how about this month? And this month is this year. How, about, how many in the last year? Now, what kind of impact would we make, would you all make here in Independence? If you think in your head that number, now say, let's do, let's see if we can share the gospel with a person a week, every one of us, a new person every week, and pray for that person all week and see what the Lord will do. How 
many people would come the short distance to here, right here, Church at Three Trails. How might our lives be changed if we shared the gospel with one person a week? And I'm, I'm not saying that is your benchmark. I'm saying I think there, there might be some people who are an exception. But if you look at your life this last week and how many people you shared the gospel with, can you honestly say I've shared the gospel with multiple people this week? Hopefully. But start somewhere. Say, I'm going I'm to share the gospel with somebody every time I go out. Or if it's you haven't done it every week, I'm going to share the gospel every week. And until I share that gospel, I'm going to be purposefully looking for somebody to share with every time I go out. It'll become more of a habit. It'll become more of a thing. And, and the Lord can use that and work in our lives. And that is our commission, right? To go and make disciples of all nations. It's not just to, to go and love people, which we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we're supposed to love other, our neighbors, ourselves, and our neighbors, everyone. But the special call for Christians is to reach out with the gospel. And the gospel starts with saying, hey, you know, we're sinners. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And we have to be humble enough to say that. John was humble enough. He said, the one who's coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. You know, that was the lowest slave's job in the house. The lowest servant's, that was the worst job, is to undo somebody's sandals, wash their feet. John's like, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy. And then he's telling everybody else, look, you need to repent of your sin too. And that's not in, it's not popular, it's not popular in our day today. But it is what we're called to do. We're called to make a public proclamation. We're called to share with people that they need to repent of their sin. And we're called to be a changed people. Just the same thing that John preached. We need to repent of our sin and turn to God. We are told in Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, when you think of that, you're thinking up here, preaching, doing stuff. But the actual Greek word is uh, I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong if I don't look at it. Keruso. It's, it's to herald. It's not, it's not to get up and expound scripture. It's not to get up and explain everything, but it's rather to proclaim the truths. It's not something that you have to have special training to do. All you have to have is the Holy Spirit. 
All you have to have is the Lord and a knowledge of saving faith. And you can proclaim the truth of that to those who don't know. Those who are around you. Those who, who need to hear it. Jesus told us that's our job in Matthew 28. He said, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. And that's a comfort to me because I know that my weak words and my small faith can't convince anyone. And sometimes my harsh words or my hard words, even when I don't intend to be, are not going to bring anybody to Christ. My best arguments are nothing. I can argue till I'm blue in the face that Jesus is the best way and I can show you from science that creation is real that God created the world and it's not evolution. And I can show you from history that Jesus is the best documented historical figure ever and that the actions that he did are beyond doubt. I can argue till I'm blue in the face. And it means nothing because I'm not God. I don't change the heart. I can proclaim, but God has to do the work in it. And when John was proclaiming, he wasn't the, he wasn't the one. He was mighty in the Holy Spirit. People were coming not because John was a fantastic order or because John was the best dressed or because John was the picture of success. John ate locusts for his food. He lived in the wilderness and ate bugs and wore camel's hair, which is really scratchy, and not fine clothes, and he had nothing. So they didn't go out to see somebody to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach success. You know, look at me. Look at how successful I am, John's saying. No, they didn't go out to see that. They went out because John had the Holy Spirit and God was moving in the hearts of people. And John's message was true to Scripture. And so you can be sure that if you go out and like me are very weak and ill-equipped to share, but you are going out in faith and sharing what you know of Christ that God can use that. God can use your efforts. And he does use the efforts of ordinary people to move in the hearts of men. He uses his word spoken by people who love him to change hearts for him. And that's what it's really all about, isn't it? 
we have to turn to Christ. And we want to see other people turn to Christ. And in this audience, I, I, in this group that's gathered here, I know that there are probably people who don't know the Lord, who don't love the Lord. And I just encourage you, turn to Jesus because he is the only way of salvation. He is the Son of God. He is the only way. And if you accept that, if you accept that you're not enough, but that he came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin, and you believe that in your heart, and then you commit your life to him, you will be saved. So as we, as uh, Brian, I'm sure, is going to do a much better job of going through Mark, just remember that there's a bold beginning. Mark starts out and says, here he is. The salvation of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. And we need to make our hearts right. You need to turn to him. And as you guys go on and, and study through Mark, I'm excited to hear, I was listening to Brian on the internet. It was, it's really good, some really good sermons, really good preaching. You guys are blessed here. And I'm excited to see how he'll walk through this with you. If you don't know Christ, come today. Come and be saved. He is for you and he is wanting you. And if you come, he will not turn you away no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, you are the salvation of all men. You are the anointed one, the son of God. And I acknowledge we can't do it on our own. We can't. I can't live for you without your help, without your Holy Spirit coming and changing my heart. So work in the hearts, change the lives, be real in people's hearts today. And Lord, if there's someone here who has not turned their life to you, I pray that you would convict them and bring them to that point where they would repent, turn from their sins, and turn to you. In Jesus' name.